the suitcase from the van Cause if you want the best But you don't ask questions Then brother, I'm your man Cause where it all comes from is a mystery It's like the changing of the seasons And the tides of the sea But here's the one that's driving me berserk Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 Oh, shut up, you tart. Silly boys rounders, and welcome to a new episode of Only Goats and Horses with Bread Roll and JT. <laughs> Silly boys rounders indeed, and hello everyone. We are back after, what, about a month off Bread Roll, isn't it, for various reasons. Um, but we're here, and hopefully consistent from now on, week in, week out. But we'll see, Christmas is coming, so that'll probably put a spanner in the works. But anyway, we're back, and this week we are looking at the Jolly Boys Outing, which is a Christmas special. From the 25th of December 1989, it's a feature-length 85-minute episode with 20.1 million viewers. And I think that might be the most we've had so far, Fred Roll. That's really good numbers, isn't it? And um, arguably one of the most uh, well-known and popular uh, specials or just episodes in general of Only Fools and Horses. Everyone knows the Jolly Boys outing. Um, is that the longest-running episode, do you think? Because um, most of the specials usually run about an hour long. This one's obviously over that. Is that the longest we get, or are there a couple more like that down the line, do you think? I don't know. I think to Hullenbach and Dates were around the same as well, weren't they? To Hullenbach, I think it's 90-odd minutes. Um, Dates is possibly around that. But, yeah, from here on in, I think they go to more like a, a 60 minutes sort of running time. But, yeah, this one is definitely one of the longer ones. I mean, like you say, this is one of the most well-known. It's also one of the most uh, well-rated ones. I think probably overall, quite rightly so, um, from the fan base, this is probably the most sort of highly regarded episode of all time of Only Fools. Yeah, yeah, and um, with good reason. It's a really good episode, and quite a lot really happens in it for the um, the running time. And um, one thing that's strange about this one, well, not really strange, but just a different perspective from the production level, there's loads of licensed music used in this one. I know there's obviously a few licensed songs used here and there, and obviously with gold and DVD cuts, some of it's been cut out. There's loads of music featured in, in this one throughout um, the episode. Yeah, there is. Even the um, end title tune is not the only Fool's tune, is it? It's a Chaz and Dave song. Um, yeah. which I think Again, next week when we do Rodney Come Home, there's a different um, tune at the end of that. But rarely, it's normally the only Fool's theme tune. Obviously, you get running through the end titles. We get a couple of little cameos in this, don't we? We get Jake Wood, who um, went on to play Max Branning in EastEnders, amongst other things. There's a very young apprentice in this episode in Rodney's office, don't we? We do, yeah. <laughs> it always makes me laugh when he shows up. Um, makes you like, realise like, how old this is. Because I remember when he joined EastEnders back in the day when I had to watch such things. Um, and when you see him in this, you're like, fucking hell, this actually really is quite old. Yeah, exactly. And um, Daniel Hill, who plays Stephen, um, Cassandra's boss, the yuppie, he was in um, Doctors, that daytime soap on BBC One. And I remember watching this once on my lunch um, a couple of years back. It was just on in the background. And I looked at it and thought, Fuck me, that's Stephen from Only Fools and Horses. And he made a few appearances in, in Doctors, apparently. He's like a kind of side character, but he still looks the same now. Oh, fair. Well, he's not quite a yuppie, is he? Uh, Dell calls him a yuppie, but he's not quite <laughs> happy about it, is he? <laughs> he definitely is a yuppie, though, I'm afraid. And then yeah, um, <laughs> Robin Driscoll, uh, good name, who plays the great Ramondo, he apparently um, writes Mr Bean episodes alongside Rowan Atkinson. So there's a little fact for you. And another one, I didn't know this until just the other day when I was doing a couple of extra notes. I mean, I watched this about a month ago, so that's when we were supposed to record this. Not that I'd obviously never seen it before, but for the sake of this podcast. Um, Wanda Ventum, I think her name is. Wanda Ventum, Ventum, who plays a Pam, Pamela, the annoying character, um, Cassandra's mum. Do you know who her son is? This is only something I found out last week. Oh, I think I've, I have seen this. Um, is it Benedict Cumberbatch? It is, indeed. Yes, yeah. yeah. Cumberbatch is her son. So there we go. Um, something that um, I found out the other day. So that's quite random. So there's a few little uh, tidbits and facts there about this episode in general. Obviously, we've seen Pam before a couple of times now. Yeah, no, it's always good to uh, do a little bit of research on it and stuff. I was trying to remember, is Pam in this? And it's like, of course, she's in like one of the opening sections, isn't she? Um, Cassandra's flat before the actual outing happens. I think... Pretty much everyone is in this episode, aren't they, at one point? Pretty much every sort of a reoccurring character appears in this episode. Yeah, yeah, it must be. Yeah, it's a full house, isn't it? It's good as well, because obviously it's always the better episodes when they're all in there mingling around. But yeah, you've got like Mickey and Jevon and 
pretty much all the faces on the uh, the Jolly Boys out, and then we get um, Alan as well. He goes along, doesn't he? And then Pam at the flat at the start, like we said. He does indeed. And just before we do start running through the synopsis, just a little um, sort of we we say about the timeline and that with only fools and horses. There's actually an error in this one. I don't know. I'd never picked up on it before, so I'm not going to lay claim to this. This is from the Only Fools Wiki. Um, this episode's set bank holiday 1989, so we're assuming August. It's a summer bank holiday. And Rodney and Cass are celebrating their year's anniversary. But in the episode before that we looked at about a month ago now, um, little problems when they get married, you can see them signing their wedding certificate and the date's the 25th, uh, 5th of January 1989. So they've only been married eight months. So there's a bit of a continuity sort of timeline error there. But I'd never noticed that before. No, I, I've, I've never picked it up before. I know you obviously mentioned, that, oh, yeah, it's the anniversary dinner, isn't it, and stuff. But, um, yeah, I never would have put those dates together. That's a really good shout, whoever found that out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, probably 99% of people. I mean, I've seen both episodes countless times, and I've never picked up on it. So I'm pretty sure 99% of people also wouldn't have picked up on it. But there we go. Someone has, and fair play to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good shout. So should we have a look at the old synopsis then, Brad, roll on this one? Yeah, yeah, let's get it started then. Bit of the old jolly boys. Can't go wrong. Okie dokie. So as always, before we start, big shout out to Dan Parkinson for the opening theme tune to this wonderful podcast. So let's have a look at how this one opens then. So Rodney's now working for Alan Parry, Cassandra's father, at his printing firm Parry Print Limited, while Uncle Albert has been promoted to executive lookout, i.e. watching out for the police, for Trotter's independent traders. The so-called traditional Jolly Boys outing, whereby all the regulars at the Nags Head pub go on an annual coach trip for Beano, to the seaside resort, seaside? seaside resort of Margate in Kent is also approaching. The following evening at Rodney and Cass's flat, the Trotters enjoy a sophisticated dinner with Cassandra's parents as well as her boss Stephen and his wife Joanne. Rodney is unable to hide his contempt of Stephen due to what he sees as his yuppie arrogance, while Dale Boy mistakenly thinks, to Stephen's chagrin, that he and Stephen are kindred spirits. Dale invites Stephen to join the outing due to Joanne's absence visiting her parents for the weekend, but he partly declines. The night ends with a game of trivial pursuit in which Dale suggests that a female swan is called a bick, after Rodney tries to give him a clue by discreetly showing him a pen. So that's a fair chunk. That's pretty much the first half hour of this episode leading up to when they actually go to Margate. But I love the way this opens. And again, we've always said this, we get Doughboy on the market, obviously this time of Albert being a lookout in inverted commas. Yeah, yeah, you always love it when that opens on the market. And I just got to say, congratulations on your new Boston accent there, JT, with seasoid. It was good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, auditioning for a role in um, I don't know, Goodfellas or something. I'm not sure what's going on there. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm joking. Um, yeah, I love. I always love it when they open up in the market. It's just one of those things. It's such a kind of good flavour for only fools. And I love Del Boy as always selling car stereos. And he's like, I'm going to throw on a Carly Minogue LP. Typical fucking Del Boy. But yeah, yeah, have like a bloody fucking was a 24 inch vinyl, or whatever it is, with your car radio player. Yeah, 12 inch vinyl. Yeah, and then obviously no one's interested. She's like, I oh, know what. Forget the Carly Minogue LP and just launches it behind him. There's a really like good line here from Dale as well. We know he gets things wrong all the time, and it's a bit of a sneaky one. He's like, it comes with uh, two quadraphonic speakers. It's like, well, quad, quad means four, Dale. So obviously another Dale boy like slip up there. <laughs> yeah, you got to love that. I mean, he's given it all the pattern. There's one thing here. Um, one of the people in the the market crowd, which is not to be um, uh, so like. They probably just use like general people or just a bunch of extras like, over and over. But I did recognize some faces that have been in the crowd for his um, market stalls in the past as well. I don't know if you reckon any familiar ones. Um, but yeah, there's two or three in there. I was like, yeah, they've been in other episodes while he's been obviously trying to flog it. When they do a feature where he's actually got a crowd around him, it's usually the same faces that turn up. There's like a, a guy with like quite a funky beard, isn't there? Like a white beard. Is he in this one? He's been in a couple. I'm sure he's milling about. Also, Boise's in the background, isn't he? While Dale's talking to Marlene in a second, you do see Boise talking to someone in the market, but he's not actually in this scene, technically. No, he's not. He's just kind of milling around, isn't he? Because you see Marlene rocking up with like this like hideous fucking like leopard print dress with like shoulder pads that make it look like a bloody, I don't know, World of Warcraft character. And you've got old Tyler and his fucking his pram and everything. And um, there's actually some bits here with Albert because we first see Cassandra sort of come along, don't we? And she goes to speak to Albert and he does the whole during the war. She's like, oh, yeah. please, Albert, I've only got an hour for my lunch. Um, <laughs> but there's actually a bit of a kind of somber note here with Albert's um, stories, isn't there? Because he tries to speak to Marlene and she's like, oh, you must have come back with more medals and, you know, the Olympic squad. And he's like, oh, well, I didn't ask for them. They just kept giving them to me. And you've got to see that sort of sadness about, like, you know, he didn't want to be in the war and stuff, which he normally 
it's all comedy value, isn't it, of his war stories? But he actually get a bit more of a kind of serious note this time. Yeah, he does pull that sort of sombre face, doesn't he? He says it, and he's found a new medal, isn't he, at the bottom of his duffel bag, which is what starts him off to Cassandra. Also, though, you mentioned Tyler. It's really weird, isn't it? Because um, Marlene rocks up with Tyler in this bloody pram, and um, Dell and Cassandra, and that, they don't know his name. You thought, obviously, there's such a big thing that Marlene's actually had a kid after all the problems her and Boise have had. Do you think they'd have known his name by now? Because he's obviously, you know, I don't know how old he's supposed to be in this pram, but he's not newborn, is he? No, no, he's not. Um, yeah, you would have thought that'd be like a more, like I say, they've all been there to like them. When he came home, they'd have like a sort of like, I don't know if he's been christened at this point, has he? Um, but you would have thought they'd all know. And also, Dell makes that stupid joke, doesn't he? It's like, his name's Tyler. And it's like, oh, right, you could have called him like, if it was a girl, you could have called it Ruth Tyler. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I just thought that's a bit of a, a bit of a weird. And obviously, it's in- introducing his name to the to the audience, isn't it? It's the first time we've seen him. Um, and he does make a few sort of little appearances here and there. Uh, Tyler always in his pram, doesn't he? But obviously, I don't know how old he's supposed to be in this one. He doesn't look very old. But <laughs> then um, when Marlene's going on about uh, Boise going to the, the Jolly Boys out and everything, he better not get up with any uh, up to any good with any women or no uh, up to no good with any women there. They was like, we'll only be there for a couple of hours. She's like, you don't need a couple of hours. 30 seconds does him. It's always a good line, that one. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I do like that bit. Then old um, baby won't stop crying. Well, she's like, I'll shut up, you miserable git or something. <laughs> um, what was it Dale said? It's like, um, she's like, oh, he's got wind or something. It's like, oh, yeah, he does remind me of Boise. Is it the eyes? No, the wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of good little one-liners there from Marlene and, and Dale between them. And then we cut to Rodney at his, um, at his job. And fucking hell. <laughs> like the first thing he does he loses all the data off the thing doesn't he and again this is a line that's sometimes cut out on goals he just goes shit doesn't yeah. he sometimes that's not shown on goal sometimes it is sometimes it's not it's random yeah I do like that that's the first line you hear from me like, oh shit that's the second time today but first thing you've got to notice is those fucking old school computers they're horrendous yeah, aren't they like I mean no wonder people need to wear I and mean, I wear glasses and everything but they probably turn people's eyes square those screens are horrible and the font was miserable it just looks so retro now yeah they were pretty bad weren't they I mean they were so cutting edge back in the day though but yeah now you just look at it and think fuck me did we used to use those things like 30 years ago but yeah obviously we did but I do like it when old Alan comes in as well. And he's like, what have you bought Cassandra for your anniversary then to Rodney? And he's like, clothing. Alan's like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll see that tomorrow night then. And then Rodney gives him that look. He's like, I don't think you will, Alan. And then Alan twigs. Oh, oh yeah, OK, maybe I won't. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it is good. Uh, the guy who plays Alan, I can't remember his name, but um, he's got some amazing facial expressions and the way he kind of like just reacts to things. Um, and that office and that, that whole like place, obviously it's a printing company and that, but... The office that um, Rodney's in, it's just so old school. So how cold offices used to look back in the day. It's just breeze blocks painted over, crappy little desk in the corner, and he's just wearing a proper suit for it once. There's metal filing cabinets. It's just like such a, I don't know, uninviting-looking office, isn't it? Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? Next week, actually, Rodney's progressing to a much better office. But, yeah, this one looks just like a portal cabin shoved in the middle of a factory, doesn't it? It's horrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. He's in, like, an upstairs kind of office next week, isn't he, if I remember correctly? Like, one actually looks proper. Yeah, he is indeedy. And this is where we actually get um, Jake Lloyd making his little appearance when uh, Rodney's fucking doing his um, accounting or whatever he's doing. It all sort of transfers over to uh, Jake Lloyd's computer. And he's like, Why, sir, that stuff that you were doing earlier, it's on my computer now. And Rodney's like, well, of course it is. Obviously, pretending he knows what he's done. And even um, Alan gives him a look as if to say, what the fuck are you doing, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. It's good. And um, I do like this bit, although it's a bit of um, a storyline error because in the market, um, Cassandra, they're going on about like the anniversary dinner and Dale's like, oh, what time did you want us there? And Cassandra's like, well, I thought Rodney said we'd take you out for dinner, you know, another time. And he's like, no, no, that'd be too expensive. We'll come to your house. And in this scene here, Rodney says to Alan, oh, no, I've invited Dell and Albert. And it's like, well, you didn't invite Dell and Albert. We've just seen the scene where, you know, Cassandra said that you said you were going to take them away and she's ended up letting them come to it. So it wasn't actually him who invited them. It's a really good shout. I'd never picked up on that. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, um, Alan's like, oh, well, maybe Cassandra wouldn't have liked that promotion anyway, a new job. So he knows that Dell and uh, Albert are probably going to fuck it up for him. Although Albert, to be fair, apart from his war stories, doesn't really get involved in the random shit that Dell comes out with, does he? No, he kind of just sticks to himself, don't we? And we also see Alan's quite a kind of pragmatic businessman because Rodney's complaining about um, Stephen and how much of a twat he is, which he basically is. Um, and then Alan's like, you know, we've got to be fair. He's, you know, Cassandra's boss and he might do the company some good some days um, or one of these days and everything. So obviously this is back in the day when obviously 
businesses looked out for each other a little bit more and he's like, I'd rather have him sort of like on the, on the outside spitting out than on the outside spitting in type thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, know, he knows the score, doesn't he? And when it does cut to the flat, is this the first time we've seen Rod and Cassandra's flat? I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I believe so, because he's cut to it and um, Albert sat there actually wearing almost a proper suit. He's got his medals on still, but he's actually dressed in a proper suit again this time or thereabouts. And he's looking at a board game of Trivial Pursuit while everyone else is around the table. Yeah, and this, this is where Dell's trying to sort of um, sort of show off to Stephen, isn't he? Stephen's going on about, I mean, he's a dick, isn't he, we said. I mean, he plays the character really well, um, but he's going on about bloody growth and everything and bananas, and that's where the, the trade is in Africa. And Dale's like, yeah, well, the bigger the banana, the better. And then Alan's like, no, no, I don't think he's going on about the actual size of the banana there, Dale. And Dale's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's just so out of his depth, isn't he? He is, yeah, and he's got his fucking file of facts again. And he's like, you got a pen? No. Oh, all right. And, and then what's, um, when... um. Uh, what is it, Steve? I can't remember what he says. Someone and then Dell just like Fabrique Delgique, eh, Stephen? And he's like, "What?" He's <laughs> just a shit. He comes out. It's just so good, isn't it? And then Dell obviously says, "There, uh, Stephen." He's like, "You're a yuppie." He's like, "No, I'm not." He's like, "Was it people like us, isn't it?" Stephen's like, "What do you mean, people like us? Oh, yuppies." Dell, I'm not a yuppie. Yes, you are, Stephen. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You really are. He's having none of it. He is like for Dell, it's a compliment, isn't it? He's like, You are Stephen, you are sort of like tugging away <laughs> on his like fucking cigar and everything. And that's when they're talking about like baseball. And um, he's like, Well, that's the sort of you know, show the type of sport that people like me and Stephen like to watch. And Roddy's like, No, it's not. You always call it silly boys rounders. And I always thought that was fucking <laughs> classic. It's a description for baseball, yeah. And then Dell's like, Yeah, but that's before I knew it was in. He's like, No, I know I really like it. Yeah, obviously, trying to eat doesn't fucking like it. Sure, he'd never seen it in his life before, but there we go. And then the whole trivial pursuit thing, when um, Dell uh, Dell's like, "Yeah, come on, then let's play trivial pursuit." Uh, what is it? And then Rodney's like, "Oh, you know, it's a, it's a general knowledge quiz game." And even Alan like, "Yeah, it's it's quite difficult, Dell. Could could be a little bit embarrassing." And Dell's like, "Yeah, don't worry, I'll help you two out. <laughs> it's fucking excellent." I love the way that like it hasn't taken like Alan and that long to kind of really get the gist of Dell. Like him and Rodney are usually kind of like on the same page, aren't they? It's like let's try and you know not get Dell involved or try and usher him out. But for some, obviously he's a bit of a force to be reckoned with, isn't he, Dell? Yeah, he certainly is. And then when um, Stephen goes on about his Kilimanjaro story and he's this whole thing about like seeing the plains of Africa and Joanne's like, oh, yeah. And they're being proper like yuppie-ish, I suppose, for want of a better word. And then Dell just pipes up, yeah, we're all going on the Beano to Margate at the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get... um. Yeah, they say that they do it every few years, don't they? We haven't really heard about this um, until now, and obviously they've got to make it for the episode, really. But we haven't heard much about it, considering it's supposed to be like a, not annual, but maybe like a biannual and every couple of year thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the very last episode, we see that old picture with Freddie Robdell in it, don't we? Which obviously is Nicholas Lindhurst. But up until then, we'd never heard of it before. And we don't hear of it again, but for obvious reasons. I think it does get mentioned again, the fact they can never go on it because of what happens in the coach a bit later on, which obviously if people don't know, which I'm sure you do, we'll, we'll cover when we get to it. But then Cass isn't impressed, is it? When um, she's going up, Stephen's like, oh, I, I can't go and everything. And she's like, yeah, you know, you'll know someone there. And then um, Albert's like, yeah, Rodney's going. And then Cass's like, what, you're going? And then it's, um, she's, Rodney says, yeah, and your dad's going as well. And then Pam kicks off. They all start kicking off about their other half's going, don't they? Yeah, it's just like, I'm not going to speak to anyone. I'm not going to drink anything. I'm just going to enjoy myself. Yeah, but yeah, they're all like up for it until they find out that they're like other halves ago and then they're not happy about it at all. Obviously, a bit of a lad's day out, particularly if Dell's organising it because it does end in disaster, shock horror, if people don't know. And then obviously we get the classic line there that's said in the uh, the synopsis where um, these, uh, uh, Stephen, the question on um, Trivial Pursuit is, like, oh, it's so easy. What's a female swan called? And Dell's like, a uh, uh, female swan. What you don't know? He's like, uh, no, um, give me a clue. No, no, there's nothing in the rules about clues. And then Rodney gets that pen out. So fucking, he's trying to be discreet. He's so obvious with it. He's rattling in his mouth. And Dale's like, yeah, yeah, I've got it. It's a bick. And he just picks up the dice and rolls it as if he thinks he's right. <laughs> it is brilliant the way it's done. And that's why it just cuts to everyone's face, like just looking like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, literally everyone in the room's like, uh, what the fuck, Dale? But he's like, yep, carries on. It's just so good. So let's have a look at what happens next then, Bread Roll. So this covers a fair chunk of it, um, but when they actually get to Margate, to be fair, it's just a little sort of montage, isn't it? So let's have a look. So the trip to Margate is chaotic. 
the coach driver Harry seemingly gets drunk halfway through the journey and Rodney gets arrested for accidentally kicking a football at a policeman. Just as the Jolly Boys are preparing to leave Margate and head home, their coach, equipped with a faulty Albanian radio from a batch Dell uh, recently sold, explodes when the radio ignites a fuel line, the fumes of which had actually caused Harry's incoherence. As there is a train strike and a restricted bank holiday bus service, the Jolly Boys are forced to spend the night in Margate. Aware of the limited number of vacant hotel rooms, the Jolly Boys split up into groups and hunt in different directions. So that's a fairly short little chunk there for a fair sort of part of the episode there. And um, when it first opens up into the coach sort of bit and they're all in there, we get Bananarama apparently singing that cover of Help, um, which is actually it's quite a catchy tune. But like you say, there's a fair few sort of songs in this episode. Yeah, and then we sort of get to see like the buses full up, loads of extras in there, like just faces filling the bus but you've got all the usual faces like mickey and jevon and all that lot and mickey he's a bit like albert he rarely ever changes his clothes he always looks like a really low budget mime wearing his trilby i think jevon's always just wearing like a dark gray suit and they all just wear the exact same outfit yeah you're right um, i do like it albert's not happy they had to leave so early and mickey's like singing in his ear isn't he and then jevon's really weird isn't he he's like there's a train strike on that's why we had to leave early now repeat that back to me to make sure you understand. It sort of gets quite threatening to Albert, doesn't he? And Albert's like, I'll clip you around here, I'll in a minute, or something like that. But Jevon's really weird, I thought, in that little bit. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit strange. I suppose they still, because he hasn't been in it that much, um, like he's been in it consistently, but he doesn't really have much to do. I suppose they haven't really quite sussed out his character yet. And then they get the classic, like, talking about all, like, the they're handing out sandwiches on the, um, the bus, aren't they, and everything. It's like, oh, can you imagine Delboy cutting up all those loaves? He'd have got some idiot to do it. And then Trigg's like, no, I did it. <laughs> yeah, and then Denzel's got a disease. He's yeah. like, I've got this infection. Del's like, oh, have you? It's in my ear. Well, how'd you get it in there then? Well, it's an ear infection. That's where you get them. And then he takes the sandwiches off Del, uh, Denzel and gives them to, who's he giving to to give out? Is it Mike? He's Mike, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He must have known that Dell wasn't going to keep quiet about that because within about two minutes, Dell's shouting about it and everyone's going, he's got a disease to poor old Denzel. Because <laughs> then he, he sits down and he sort of looks at the radio, doesn't he, which has obviously got a bit of smoke coming out of it, which plays a big part. But I was thinking, why would this coach even have one of his stereos in the first place? Surely that coach company would have their own supplier and probably have their own radio. So why would his just happen to be in there for this trip? Oh, that's a real good shout. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> obviously, we know why it's in there. Something's going to happen in a minute. <laughs> um, well, something has happened. We've already talked about it, but I like it when um, Dell's uh, no Rodney's like, "Oh yes, Margate, look out and lock up your daughters," and then turns around and Alan suddenly seems like, "All right, Alan." <laughs> Alan's yeah. face is just so unimpressed. Yeah, it's brilliant. And the halfway house is um, a pretty good scene as well. Because we meet Eddie Chambers, don't we? Those like the Mardi Gras um, in Margate, and you know, who used to work opposite um, Mike. But then we also get at the start when they're in the market. Um, Albert sort of telling a story to Tyler when he's like pushing him in the pram, isn't he? About like this, like how he managed to stop like this um, German fishing trawler, like or something like that. He managed to crash into him and stop them. And then it turns out that was a boat that Sid was escaping on, wasn't it? Because he was in like a prisoner of war camp. And it's like this poxy fishing trawler cut across us. We're making our <laughs> escape. And I spent the rest of the war in the Stale. And Albert's face just suddenly drops. It's like, shit, do you want another point, Sid? <laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's typical John Sullivan, though, isn't it? Something that was mentioned sort of in passing earlier comes back and actually has a little bit more in the in the plot. He does that very well. We've said that before. It's weird as well, though. You say there about old um, Eddie Chambers. It's like um, Mike goes to him, are you, you going to be here long then, Eddie? He's like, yeah, I'll be here for about another half hour. And Mike's like, oh, good, we'll have a catch-up and a right old chinwag. He's like, well, he's only going to be there half an hour. What are you going to talk about? You're not going to have a lot of time. Yeah, and then they're in the toilet as well, don't they? And they've got those really old school, that, that random towel thing that Dale was trying to dry his hands on, which is you like bacteria, fucking rag or whatever. And fucking Eddie's having a slash behind him and shakes his hand after he, before he's washed his hands. It's like, oh, grim. Yeah, they have those towels. I was in the toilet recently. I can't remember where it was, and they had those. I was like, fucking hell, it reminded me of the Jolly Boys albums. You don't see them very often now. It's all those Dyson air blades and stuff. But yeah, somewhere I was not that long ago, I had one of those things. I was like, proper old school that. But um. It's weird as well, because when they go outside, obviously, and um, Harry's all over the shop and they think he's pissed. And Alan's like, that's all right, just stick him on the back seat. And Boyce's like, stick him on the back seat, he's a driver. But how hadn't Alan noticed he was a driver? They'd been driving for God knows how long to get to the pub, but he'd not noticed he was driving. Well, yeah, and he's obviously not one of the faces, is he? Like, one of the main sort of, like, people that he probably would have met, knowing Dell and Rodney and all that stuff. So, yeah, could, could have put two and two together. 
I love how Boise's like got this random like I don't know what it's supposed to be like a neckerchief or even like a really okay. like cravat or something on. He just looks ridiculous. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. And then it's quite convenient as well that Denzel's got a public service license. Like straight away, like when they're like, "Oh yeah, Denzel can drive. He's got an every good license." Oh no, to drive that I need a public service license. And Sid's like, "Oh, he's got one of them as well. He used to have it when he drove on the buses with me." It's like, "Oh, that's convenient." Yeah. And then these two police officers, they're like really shit actors, whoever they are. Um, because oh, the guy definitely. almost does like a fucking a Ripley and alien, doesn't it? It's like he forgets one of his lines. You know, when she's like, "You'll get whatever's coming to you." He does that at Rodney's. Like, you can tell me all about it down at the station. And he kind of like nods like he's forgetting his words. Yeah. And when, <laughs> when they kicked the ball, though, Rodney like goes Rude Gullet, who's a Dutch footballer for anyone who doesn't know. He was like big at the time. He's like nowhere and kicks the ball. And when it hits the copper and he falls over, it's so fucking bad, isn't it? It's so fake. It is, yeah. Because one, the ball nearly, you know, barely fucking touches him. It comes at him at a completely different angle to what Rodney kicked it. And like you say, he just takes this random little like tumble. It's fucking stupid. And I've never understood what that means when he goes, Rude Gullet, nowhere. Um, but obviously, I'm not a big football fan, so I didn't clock that it was like a football player or anything, but I've never understood what that meant. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah, um, he used to play for Chelsea. He was Chelsea's manager for a while, Rude Hullet, his name is not Gullet, but it starts with G, um, Dutch name. But yeah, Rude Hullet is a um, very famous Dutch footballer. Obviously, if you don't know football, you wouldn't know him. So there you go, Bredwell. You've learned something there. It's mm-hmm. weird as well, because Dale says, oh, yeah, he just threw the ball back to me. It's like, well, he didn't. He kicked it. And then Rodney's like, yeah, yeah, I just threw it back to him. It's like, you didn't. You fucking kicked it. Why are you both saying he threw it? <laughs> it takes ages for them to get there as well, doesn't it? Because the cops are watching them because they're having an argument about who's going to drive. And they're walking over. And like somehow, like, Dell, Allen and all that lot don't notice these coppers like, walking up behind them because they're literally right there. But then Dell's got time to walk up to the coach, shout a few things, go, come on, Rodney. You know, throwing the ball. Then the policeman turns up. So, like, one minute they were stood right next to each other. Then it took them about another minute to get there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a bit weird. And then, obviously, they end up at the police station. You see Rodney coming out and Alan and Dale are out there with him. Rodney's worried he's going to, obviously, get charged and everything. They're like, no, don't worry. I don't think he's going to press charges. But, I mean, I don't know how far away the police station was from the halfway house. Obviously, they're in the middle of nowhere when they get to the halfway house. It's just on a, on a main road, isn't it? And he must have been in the police station quite a while because these things don't happen quickly. I mean, I've had to give statements before, not going to lie. And they're not the quickest thing in the world. So, I mean, God knows how much time he spent in there, but he would have wasted a good few hours, I reckon. Yeah, and it's into like some random, just looks like a general council estate, doesn't it, where the yeah. police uh, station is. It's like there's just loads of flats and everything around, and they've managed to park that fucking bus up there. But yeah, that would have taken away a massive chunk of their day. And then obviously they do get to Margate where we get that. Um, like sort of montage which I think is done really well but I just hate the song that's playing over the top of it I think I've got a note of it but he's talking by Harry Nilsson is it? Yeah that song is really weird isn't it it's like that bit's really fucking strange it always yeah it's definitely a strange song but apparently another thing I read while sort of making some notes on this you know when Albert's um, sailing that sort of radio controlled boat on that little pond thing whatever it is um, there's a kid next to him who starts laughing. That's actually Patrick Murray. He plays Mickey Pierce. That's his actual son, apparently. Oh, is it? Oh, fair. That's, oh. that's pretty cool. But it is a yeah. good montage, actually, because they're just obviously all going around and um, obviously just having fun on the fairground and everything. And Trigger just turns out with this big inflatable dolphin, doesn't he? Which is <laughs> sort of he has for like the next sort of like section of the movie, which is quite random. Yeah, and there's a bit as well where they've shoved Harry on the big wheel and he's like sort of unconscious almost. They wouldn't have let him go on there. I mean, I know health and safety wasn't as big back in the 80s, but there's no way they'd have let him in that state sit on a big wheel. He could have quite easily fallen out, and he's there fucking slumped over it, isn't he? Yeah, that bit always reminds me. I know it's a completely different thing, because um, obviously he's going around and he's like fast asleep. It reminds me of the intro to um, The Lost Boys. They show like this Santa Carla boardwalk and that, don't they? And I swear there's like some just old man on a fucking ride or something asleep because he's going round on there, and it just always makes me think of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good shout. Again, you're coming up with some good stuff here, Bread Roll. Um, and then we get, before they sort of plan to leave Margate, Dell and Rodney are having a bit of a heart-to-heart, aren't they? Dell's been visiting Mum's grave, and Rodney says that he obviously hasn't had much time recently, and he's talking about Cass and her ambitions. And it's quite a sort of touching little scene there where they're sort of having a bit of a heart-to-heart of each other. And then Dell talks about him and Jumbo Mills. We get old Jumbo mentioned again in their Eels on Wheels stall that they used to have, which I think has been mentioned before. Yeah, that Eels on Wheels thing is amazing. So I love the fact that um, they was trying to like blame that like when people humanise fish, it like kids <laughs> wouldn't come and eat fish from there. And he goes, he's like, come out of all these things. And he's like, there was squiddly diddly, diddly and all that stuff. Then there was that shark thing, flipper. 
always makes me laugh. It does always make me laugh. Yeah, Flipper the Dolphin. Yeah, that shark thing, Flipper, is fucking great, isn't it? And then when Rodney phones Cass, it's quite good as well because she's sort of listening to everything she's done, hasn't she? She's like, oh, I went out for dinner with, or lunch with mummy and I did all this and, and everything. And then she's like, and then the Kent uh, Police Constabulary she called to confirm that you live at that address. And Rodney's like, oh, that was nice of them, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, and then she starts bollocking him because they're all like getting onto the bus, aren't they? And then they're like, say, all the radio's going wonky. And it keeps cutting back to um, obviously Rodney on the phone with Cassandra and that. And she's like, every time you were Dale, something goes wrong. That's not fair. What about the time you entered your picture in a competition? You had to, we had to pretend I was like your mum when we went to Spain. And she's listening to all these things. And um, it's like, I can't, don't think you could blame everything on Dale. And then the bus just fucking explodes. And <laughs> so it's like, Cass, I've got to go. Our bus just blew up. It's just done so fucking well. <laughs> It's good, isn't it? I mean, you see that explosion from about five different angles, but to be fair, it's a massive explosion, and they only had one take of doing it, so they've obviously filmed it from different angles and just replayed the shot a few times. So it's a pretty big explosion. Um, but yeah, and then just before it blows up, they're all going, oh, what should we do? What should we do? And then <laughs> Trig pipes up with, ain't this coach fitted with a fire distinguisher? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant, isn't it? I love like it takes like all of them like are arguing and that. And Denzel's the one who comes up with like, well, why don't you try turning it off to start with? It's like, well, yeah, that'd be the way I'd fucking go with it. Yeah. And how the hell does no one else notice all the smoke's coming out of it? Because it's Harry, isn't it? He's like, oh, I felt like I was overcome by fumes when he goes wonky at the halfway house. And surely Denzel and all the people at the front would have noticed there's fucking smoke coming out of this radio. Well, you'd thought so. Dale obviously does notice it briefly, um, as you said earlier, before they pulled to the halfway house. But yeah, someone else would have definitely noticed it. And um, again, something else like you said there, Cass is about Rodney having to pretend he was 14. And Rodney's like, oh, yeah, I do seem to remember that. It's like it's almost like it slipped his mind. I don't think you'd ever forget about something like that. No, he'd be traumatised by it, especially considering technically in the timeline it only happened about a year ago or maybe a little bit longer. <laughs> but it's not going to slip your mind, is it? No, particularly as him and Cass were at the sort of early stages of their relationship then. It could have quite easily fucked it up for him. It's definitely something you'd never forget. Then when they get to the bus stop and they're like, oh, there's going to be a bus at 20 hundred hours. And Dale's like, oh, that's good. What's 20 hundred hours, Rodney? Eight o'clock. Oh, right. OK. He doesn't know what it is, does he? He doesn't know. And there's a line here from um, Boise that I've never quite understood because like, they're like, oh, yeah, look, that's um, the normal bus time. Like, oh, yeah, we've got a half hour wait. And then Alan's the one who looks at it goes, no, no, that's regular schedule. We're looking at bank holidays here. The next one's at like nine o'clock tomorrow or something to that effect. And they're all having a go. So they need to get home. And Boise's like, uh, my son is being christened in three weeks' time. It's like, you're not going to be stuck in Margate for three weeks, are you? It's not like you need to be back sharpish first thing in the morning. I don't know why he comes up with that excuse. It is pretty random, isn't it? I guess he's just being sarcastic. He's boisy, isn't it? But yeah, it is quite a random line. Um, it's weird as well. They say that, oh, they've missed the bus by 10 minutes. I'm like, fucking hell, if that was today, that bus would still be coming because like, a bus being 10 minutes late is pretty much on time these days, isn't it? Yeah, no, like whatever time you get, like the bus is like, oh, yeah, be there at like eight o'clock. So I'll get there for nine. It'll turn, it'll be turning <laughs> up then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do like the way they all sort of start sneaking off in their little groups because Mike, uh, Boise, and it's Mike, Boise, and Alan who go off together, isn't it? And then Jevon and Mickey, obviously, um, with Denzel, and then Trigger and sort of uh, Rodney, Dale, and Albert obviously go off as the trotters. And then Trigger's just sort of wandering about, isn't he, on his own for a while before he decides to go off. Yeah, he sort of goes to follow each group and comes back, and that's really well shot. I always wondered, I mean, I know it's for the plot and everything, but why would Alan have gone with Mike in Boise? Surely he would have stuck with Dell and Rodney, because they're the ones he knows like best out of the lot. Yeah, I've always wondered that as well. It's not something he, he would have done, I don't think, logically. And I mean, Trigger, bless him, goes off on his own, we assume, because he ends up in a motel, as he says later on in the club. But he does well to find somewhere. You know what Trigger's like. He's not the brightest button, bless him, but he manages to find somewhere. Yeah, yeah, fair play to him. And also as well, like, I'm just thinking, like, I don't know what, well, I don't know what seaside towns were like back then and everything, but they all do well, don't they? Because they're like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, bank holiday. We're not going to find, you know, a hotel or anywhere like that for, like, 25 and that of us. And I was thinking, I'm, there's a bit of an issue, like we've we said before of episodes um, coming up with, like, what time of night are they actually at and, you know, the actual time scale of this episode. But they all seem to do all right. But I'm just thinking, you know, getting cash out and doing all that sort of stuff would have been an absolute nightmare back then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's have a look at how it carries on then, Bredwell. We're about to meet uh, another character we've seen before, and I'm pretty sure everyone knows who it is, but let's have a look at how we meet her. So Dale, Rodney and Albert form their own group. After frantically searching for somewhere to stay, they arrive at an inviting and cosy guest house, only to find that the last rooms have been taken by Javon, Mickey Pierce and Denzel. 
The landlady, Mrs. Baker, directs him to the Villa Bella, a run-down, gloomy hotel managed by the dour Miss Creswell. Rather than spend the night there, however, Dell and Rodney decide to visit the Mardi Gras nightclub after Dell was given complimentary tickets from Mike's old rival, Eddie Chambers, at the halfway house earlier that day. At the Mardi Gras, Dell discovers his ex-girlfriend, Raquel, is working as part of a magic act with the great Ramondo. Dell and Raquel happily discuss the past, with Dell explaining that he had actually been on his way to see her to stop her leaving the UK, but was arrested, as seen in the episode Dates. It's clear that they still have an affection for each other. Raquel states her intention to leave the act after it ends, as Ramondo, with his volatile temper, intimidates her. Dell invites her to live with him in Peckham, which she accepts, and they part with a kiss. So again, a fair bit happens here. Um, and when they first get to that hotel, the, the nice one, um, there's that big fluffy white cat, and Albert obviously is stroking it, and says, oh, I think he likes me. And um, Dell or Rodney says, yeah, I think he's in love with your beard. But when they get kicked out, Albert's a right arsehole to that cat. He shoes it away, doesn't he? And I always feel sorry for that cat, because he's obviously a genuine cat, so that would have properly been filmed, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would have been just like, get out of it and all. I know it's done for comedy value, but I hate you know just shit like that in general because it's a really nice looking cat, and I love cats in general, as you know, like yourself. There, um, but yeah, it's a lovely looking cat. And then they go in, don't they? And you see like um, Denzel, Mickey, and Jev on, and they're all sat there eating and talking really loudly. Like it's kind of annoys me this scene of how loud and obnoxious they're being. Cause it's like, well, there's other diners and everything, and you lot are all just shouting your fucking heads off. Yeah, the first thing you hear, isn't it? They're in the sort of hallway talking to Mrs. Baker, who's really harsh to Helen, the sort of waitress, I guess she is, the helper. And she's like, Helen, I told you to take that sign out of the window. And she's like, oh, I'll do it when I've served dinner. So like, well, why doesn't Mrs. Baker go and do it? Why does she have to wait for Helen to go and do it? Poor girl's rushed off her feet. But anyway, while they're out there, you hear Mickey's fucking laugh. It's so loud, isn't it, through the dining room door? Yeah, yeah, it's really loud. And then the Del sort of goes in and he's like... um. They're all like taking a piss, like, oh, you're not going to the Visabella, are you? And they're like, no, 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 we're not going there. We'll see, that's where they, they do end up. But um, then there's a lot of talk, and it's like, um, hey, Denzel, how's your disease? And everyone yeah. in the fucking room just sort of turns and looks at him. Yeah. When uh, he says something about doesn't, to Mrs. Baker, don't forget to give him his pills or something. I can't remember what he says now. But um, when they first walk in, Mickey's like, look who's here. It's the coach busters. She's yeah. like, but, <laughs> Also, like, um, Rodney's a proper school kid here, because when um, Mickey's like, hey, you're not going to the Villa Bella, are you? Rodney's like, uh, no, uh, we've got somewhere better to go, um, but it's somewhere better. I'm not going to tell you where it is. It, it, it's a secret. It's like, I remember doing that sort of thing when you were a kid, sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Like, when you really just had to bullshit your way out, so it's like, no, I'm not telling you. It's a secret, that sort of thing. And then, Dale, I loved, I've said this to a few people, obviously, just in jest and everything, with, like, some friends and everything. But that's the way he just, like, bonjour, gets, and walks off and takes, like, a fucking roast potato with him. And then he puts it in his mouth when it's clearly hot, because he comes out of the room the next thing, like, going, oh, yeah. not fucking choking on it. He just pulls it off Mickey's fork, then he shoves it in his mouth. <laughs> and then the, the, when they get to the Villa Bella, they're outside. That lightning's so fake, isn't it? Oh, shit. It looks like a fucking Hammer Horror movie, doesn't it? I don't know that's obviously what they're going for, but it does look so fucking superimposed. But that Villa Bella place, um, I actually quite like the look of it. I do like that sort of haunted house look and everything, but I'd, that's, that'd probably be somewhere I'd seek out if I was looking for a B&B. <laughs> and is it Mrs. Preswell, when she opens it, she's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, she says, oh, it's £10 a night and you get a full English breakfast too. I mean, that's pretty good value. I know this is 1989, but... And then Del, he pulls the pen down to try and sign that book and he's properly trying to pull it. It's on a chain. It doesn't reach. Why don't he just move the book slightly? But he's trying to pull this chain. Yeah, fucking well, it's just Del, isn't it? Del's logic. But I do like the way that he gets the money out and she just literally snatches it away and puts it straight in her little pinny. And he's just sort of looking at his empty hand like, fucking hell, she's quick on the ball. Yeah, she's quicker than Del at taking money, isn't she? And then when they're in the hotel room, before they do go to um to the Mardi Gras, there's a dialogue between Dale, Albert and Rodney. so good, isn't it? When, um, uh, was it? Dale says, oh, fucking hell. I can't remember when she said, he said something about what would Cass say about Albert being in the same bed as me? And um, Dale's like, he probably, she'd probably say, Roddy, what's your uncle doing in bed with us? Yeah, there's a bit here as well, because um, Roddy does one of his normal, like, really high-pitched noises out of nowhere. He's like, there's a great deal of difference between you know, sleeping with my wife and kipping with you. Like what? Like! And he just goes <laughs> off on this fucking tangent, but he goes, like, really high-pitched. And he's like, one, she smells nice. Two, she wears things. And she hasn't got a dopey white beard that keeps tickling me. 
Yeah, and then Dale's like, oh, well, go back, go back, about her wearing things in bed, getting a little bit excited, doesn't he? Yeah, but this is where like, Dale was like, come on, Rodney, it's only like quarter past ten, why don't we go down for like a scampy supper and all that sort of stuff? And it's like, yeah, like you could do that. Um, I mean, quarter past ten is a bit late, but then they go to like, obviously getting a little bit ahead of herself, but um, they go to like the Mardi Gras and all that sort of thing. And they've got like the cabaret on and everything, like it's still in the full swing. And I'm thinking, this is 1989, like back then, Clubs didn't really stay open much past midnight at the best of times, so they'd have been winding down. But they go in there and it's all kind of like full steam ahead still. Yeah, because they've got the singer on, and obviously Raquel comes on with a great Ramondo. So, yeah, like I say, it's in full swing. But Del and Albert are properly winding Rodney up as well, aren't they, in the hotel room about Cass going out? And um, then Rodney thinks they're in sort of cahoots with each other to get him out. So Del can have a night out, and Albert can have the bed to himself. <laughs> Yeah, and it is good because obviously, as always, Dell knows how to completely manipulate Rodney, doesn't he? Because then he's like, um, so like, don't you think Stephen would be around the flat? No, he won't be around there because his wife's away. Then he sort of sits up, it's like, shit. And then Dell's like, oh, do you want to go and talk about it? You know, sort of talk it through, sort of thing. It's like, fucking hell. Yeah, he's like, what if that Stephen's around my flat? And then Dell's like, well, what gave you that idea? It's <laughs> like, well, you just fucking put it in his head. <laughs> <laughs> Then Albert, finally, it's the final nail in the coffin, isn't it? Albert starts telling the story about the Russian convoys and his lighter went out because it was so cold. And Ron's like, right, come on in, just quick one night ale. Yeah, I fucking love that line. One night it was so cold, the flame of my lighter froze. This is fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and then Dale and Rodney are having that little, another little heart-to-heart just before the, the rest of the gang turn up in the Mardi Gras. And um, he's like, um, Rodney's like, have you ever felt you've married beneath yourself? And Dale's like, don't start that, Rodney. You haven't married beneath yourself. <laughs> yeah it is good those um i do like those obviously little heart to heart bits we get two of them in this like we obviously had the one earlier after the montage when they just sort of sat on the pier talking about flipper um and then we get this one as well so i do like the fact that they squeeze quite a lot of character development into this episode as well as obviously plenty of humor as well yeah they do it's a very good episode obviously we're going to get a little bit more with um dale and raquel in a minute and then when boise and um mike and trig turn up like, um, they're talking, aren't they? And Dale's like, oh, yeah, this is a good place, this. They've got a singer and a magician. The singer will be on in a minute. And she's in mid-flow and she stops singing. How the fuck would she have heard Dale say that? If she heard that, she'd hear everyone talking. She wouldn't be able to concentrate on her songs. Exactly, yeah. She probably stops and like, gives her like, a really evil look, doesn't she? It's just like, all right, fuck off. <laughs> you yeah, get. exactly. A bit weird. But then... But again, they're Dale... all... Sorry, carry on. No, go on, bro. No, I was going to say, but they're all kind of turning up here, like all with the same idea in mind to come in late and have a scampy dinner. But it must be pushing like 11 o'clock by now. And they're all just coming in for like dinner and a pint and that. What have they all been doing all this time? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they've all said they found their hotels and everything. As we saw with um, Denzel and Mickey and Jevon, they'd all had a meal and everything. So you think they've all eaten by now. But, but there we go. They all see, um, they do like a drink, all, all, all the characters in this episode. So maybe we've just gone out for a couple of beers. Obviously, Alan's not there because he's... um. He's been sick by eating too many bloody, um, was it, copped an unfortunate whelp, isn't it, boys, he says. Yeah, but he's obviously been going for the old jelly deals, hasn't he? And um, when um, Raymondo and Raquel comes on, it's actually Trigger who notices her, isn't he? He's like, yeah. where have I seen that bird before? He's the first one that kind of clocks it. Yeah, because at first, Dale's like, no, it's not her. And then um, Rodney's like, it is, look, great Raimondo and Raquel. And Dale's like, blimey, and you see his face. And then he goes up and he's like, Raquel, psst keeps doing that and then she finally sees him and she seems well happy to see him though doesn't she she's like Dale and she's got all these doves and they all fly off and old Ramondo's face of thunder yeah and to be fair like the way it ended and everything like, obviously she doesn't know that Dale was arrested right well, at least at this point she doesn't know that Dale was arrested when he was going to meet her and everything so it's strange that she was so happy to see him because for all she knows like, obviously it all ended quite badly with them yeah, I mean, she says then they're having their, their little chat in between her acts. She says she's got to go back on the minute when Dale offers her another drink. And she says she thought that he dumped her, but there'd been no one else. So obviously she still liked him. And he says, yeah, you know, that was the same for me. There'd been no one else. And she doesn't believe him at all. But, I mean, we have seen Dale have a few dates here and there and mentioned dates. But we haven't seen him with anyone else, have we? But um, it's just like, she, and, but to be fair, she, um, she had sort of, you could tell she still really liked him. Like the minute she saw him, she her eyes definitely lit up. Yeah, and again, it just harkens back like to that really good chemistry that we talked about in in dates when we first kind of got introduced to her. Like her and David Jason work so well together, and it's quite genuine the whole kind of like when they're sort of sat at the bar talking and he's like, "Oh, can I have your autograph?" And then she's like getting all flat and everything. Um, and then she's like, "Oh, I don't know where I'm going to go when my tour finishes." And he's like, "Oh, Peckham's quite nice this time of year," and it's just really good and natural. 
He is nice, isn't he? I mean, to be fair, though, he's moving pretty quickly. I mean, you know, I don't know how long it was since dates, timeline-wise. Fair, a while. They haven't seen each other since. And he's like, yeah, come and live with me, pretty much, in as many words. So he, he's gone from being pretty casual in the first episode when we saw them together to being pretty full-on. But but there we go. Obviously, we know what sort of happens later on. She's Raquel's going to be in every episode now on, which is, is good, because she's a great character. Old Ramondo's a proper dictator, isn't she? Isn't he? And then um, Dale's like, do you want me to whack him for you? And she's like, no, 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 this contract's only got a couple of months to run, then I'm out of here. Yeah, because he sort of storms over and he goes, that was completely unacceptable and unprofessional, all that sort of shit. And it's like, fucking hell, put it away, mate. Yeah, and then they do have a nice little little kiss, don't they? And Dale's face, again, David Jason, you can tell the chemistry's there because his face really lights up and it does look genuine. I'm not saying, obviously... Him and uh, Raquel weren't doing anything in real life, but it's just the way they both play it is really good. Yeah, no, it's good. I do like again, like they they got the casting spot on with um obviously Raquel and um Dell, and then also as we said, like with Rodney and Cassandra and everything, they just they work so well together. Yeah, they certainly do. So let's have a look at how the episode wraps up then. So this is a fair chunk, so I will fall over it. And apologies if you can hear the washing machine doing its thing in the background. It's spinning like a crazy thing at the moment. But there we go, as the ambiance. So Adele and Rodney return to the hotel in the early hours and discover that they have been locked out. After failing to wake up Albert by throwing a stone at the window, breaking it in the process, they head to Raquel's flat to sleep for the night, only to find out that she shares it with Ramondo. Suspecting Ramondo of blackmailing Raquel sexually in return for a job and a home, Dale loses his composure, assaults Ramondo and throws his suitcase out of the window. However, Dale discovers from a shock Raquel that Ramondo is actually gay and they only live together as it's cheaper than renting separate flats. A, humi- a humiliated Dale apologises to Raquel and Ramondo who forgive him and allow him and Rodney to stay. The next morning, Rodney returns to his flat and finds Cassandra and Stephen apparently alone together. Rodney, suspecting Stephen of seducing Cassandra, flies into a rage and sucker punches Stephen, breaking his nose but then finds out that Joanne is also there. She had planned to visit her parents, but could not do so because of the train strike. He's immediately kicked out by Cassandra. Back at Nelson Mandela House, Dell speaks with Raquel over the telephone before he learns that the unintended consequences of his actions the previous night, Albert was hit on the head by the stone that Dell threw through the window, and Mike and Boise were both injured by Raimondo's suitcase when he threw it out of Raquel's window. However, Dell and Raquel arranged to meet the next week. Next week. The episode ends up as Dell starts eating Albert's breakfast and berates Albert for trying to eat it himself before Rodney angrily enters the flat with his belongings. As a credits roll, a recap of the Jolly Boys outing in Margate is played along to the song Margate by Chaz and Dave. So there we go. Obviously it does end with the uh, Chaz and Dave songs we mentioned earlier, but cutting back to the sort of start of that, I do like it when Rodney admits that he's scared of old Mrs Creswell and the Villa Bella. Yeah, yeah, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> and they're like trying to throw stones up to wake Albert up, which obviously comes into play. That actually causes a bit of injury to most people because he does it with a stone that lands on Albert's head when he throws it through the window. And obviously he gets um, the voice, he gets a suitcase on the head later, doesn't he? We find out. Yeah, and Dale blames Rodney for throwing stone as well. Rodney says, like, throw a stone at the window, try and wake him up. So Dale picks up a pretty much a rock and then chucks it and then blames Rodney. Yeah. Because they get to the door and obviously find out it's locked. And it's like, oh, no, she says she locks up at about midnight. What time is it? Quarter past two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how far they'd walked from the Mardi Gras to there. And as we said earlier, we don't really know what time the Mardi Gras sort of shut. But, yeah, it's about quarter to two by now. And when they turn up at Raquel's and Dell obviously rings the, the bell to the flat and she talks to him through the intercom, she eventually says, OK, you can come up. While she's waiting for them, she quickly runs to the mirror, doesn't she, and does her hair. So you can tell that, obviously, she does like Dell. Yeah, definitely. And, um, she's obviously wanting to look nice. I think she actually looks quite nice in this scene. And she's yeah, got that kind of like natural kind of prettiness to her, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Dale and Rodney walk in, and Dale pushes Rodney out of the way and goes straight to the settee, doesn't he? Poor Rodney gets shoved on the chair. Yeah, bless him. And then, like Rodney's probably like mugging Dell up, and he goes, "She's got a beautiful smile, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, beautiful smile. Oh, it's got you know, she's really radiant, isn't she? Did you notice what a radiance? Yeah, I noticed it." Oh, yeah, she, she lights up a room. Yeah, most of your birds walk in and light up a fag. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And then Dale's like, and she hasn't seen anyone else since she met me. And Rodney's like, she only met you two hours ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's brilliant, isn't it? I love these bits where Rodney's just in that kind of like sarky mood and just sort of mugs Dale off. They're brilliant. Yeah, and then he gets, Dale gets proper Larry with Raimondo straight away, doesn't he? He's like, the great Raimondo. 
you're just a bully boy. And then Ramondo goes into the kitchen with Raquel. Dale's like, right, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to talk this out to Rodney. Obviously, he's like, I'm going to see what's going on. Rodney's like, well, what happens if you don't like what you hear? Well, just going to have to deal with it, aren't I? Right, here we go. And he goes in there. And again, it's such a shit sort of fake punch noise. And Ramondo comes flying out where Dale was punched him. He does, yeah. And it stays that proper like stage sound. And I'll tell you one thing randomly about Raymondo as such. Because when we first see him at the club, he's got like his kind of stage makeup on, and he like the pale face um, yeah. and all that stuff. We see him normally here. And he reminds me of James Martin, that celebrity chef. I don't know if you know who I'm on about, but for some reason, it's just the way he speaks and the look of him just reminds me of him. <laughs> I've never noticed that. But I'll have to have another look. I think it might be the hair. Speaking of James Martin, randomly, um, Dan, who does our theme tune, I think I've told you, I might have even mentioned it on here. Um, Dan Parkinson, our theme tune guy, another plug for Dan. He um he's been playing guitar and keys for um James Martin's band in various sort of gigs and that recently. So there's a little plug for Dan again. Oh, there we go. It all comes full circle. <laughs> exactly. And who knew James Martin had a band? But he does. And there you go. I think it's actually called the James Martin Band, so an original name. But anyway, it's um we said there as well in the synopsis, and you you touched on it again. When Dale picks up Ramondo's suitcase, does he expect it to be full and ready packed? Because he just picks it up and lobs it straight out the window, coincidentally hitting uh Boise and Mike as they walk past. Which again, massive movie one hundred and one coincidence. They just happen to be outside at that point. Yeah, we don't find that out until a bit later on, do we? But I love no. the fact that he's obviously not intending to throw it out the window, is he? He throws it onto the table and it just slips out through the open window. It's brilliant. Yeah, he's like, oh, dear. And then when they do find out, well, when Dell finally realises, because Rodney and Raquel are sort of saying, um, you know, Raimondo, well, is it Raquel? She's like, if I was the last person on earth, he still wouldn't be interested in me. And Dell's like, what's wrong with you? You could do a lot worse than that. And then Raimondo's like, well, and then Rodney's like, work it out, Dell, take your time. And then Dell finally clocks, obviously, that Raimondo's gay. But uh, it's quite funny. And he's like, oh, I'm really, really sorry. Oh, dear, I do seem to have thrown your suitcase out the window. Let me go and get it. And Raimondo's like, no, no, I can do the air. And off he goes. Yeah. <laughs> Dell's like, well, why don't you tell me? Well, it's not something you normally drop into an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite good, isn't it? And then Raquel comes back in. And she lobs the pillows at Dell and Rodney and looks really pissed off. And then Rodney's like, oh, you really messed this up, haven't you? And Rod- Dale's like, yeah, pretty much. And then she comes in and she gives Dale this little peck on the cheek and says, thank you. And that's a really cute sort of moment, isn't it? But Dale's face is like, he's so happy, isn't he? Yeah, doesn't he like, actually look at Rodney like this really like seedy little laugh? And he's like, loudly yeah. jabbly or something <laughs> like that. But um, I love the fact that Raquel can tell like Dale, despite all his fucking blunders, he does mean well, doesn't he? Like she can see the same thing that like Rodney can see that he has got... He does mean well with what he's doing. He's just a fucking blunt instrument when he's trying to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we've always said that Dale does mean well. He's very, very rarely malicious, even sometimes to Rodney. He does use Rodney to get what he wants. Um, He's going to do that again in a couple of weeks' time. But, yeah, she knows Dale, and she's probably the only woman, really, who's understood Dale, all these people we've seen Dale with. But they, they clicked straight away, didn't they? Probably the first time we've seen that with Dale. Yeah, yeah, it is good. And I am glad that, um, I know we mentioned it in dates that we we're going to look forward to having her back, but I am glad they did bring her back because it works, just their chemistry works and it just gives something new for the episodes to have sort of like a new sort of like gear in the works, as it were. It does as well. And she tries to ground Dale, which kind of makes him sometimes a bit more wild, doesn't it, in a way, which works really, really well. And then when they sort of, they finally leave Margate and they pull up on the coach outside Rodney's flat, and fair play, the, the coach drops them pretty much right outside. Normally coaches dump you at a bus station, you have to make your own way home, but this one doesn't. And everyone says bye to Rodney on the coach, and then you hear Trigg go, see you later, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's because they, obviously I know they know the driver, I guess, and they're obviously taking them home and everything. I'm not sure if it's Harry driving or like the coach company when they sent the new bus, they sent them a new driver as well. I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, you're right. Normally you just get dropped off at some kind of like, I don't know, forecourt or whatever. And it'd be like, right, fuck off, find your own way. Yeah, exactly. And then Rodney gets back in his flat and Cass is like, oh yeah, I didn't expect you back this early. I mean, I wonder what time it is. They said they were leaving Margate at nine. So, I mean, it must still be fairly early in the morning. So why is Stephen, well, why is Stephen and Joanne there at that time in the morning? But I guess it's again for the for the punchline, but when Rodney does punch Stephen, it's so fucking fake. But I do like the way he's like, try and get your head round this. Now you know where I'm coming from, buddy. And then he just fucking punches him, but it is a pretty fake punch. Yeah, it's a fake punch. Stephen's reaction, like his hands go up and he does this dramatic turn and just sort of flops down. It's worse worse than that fucking punch in the um in chain gang, isn't it? When you see like the punch inside the <laughs> restaurant when Boise gets clocked, it's dreadful. 
it is. It's even more close up this time. This time, so it does look a little bit worse. But I love it when Joanne comes out and Cass is like, "Joanne's here as well." We've been looking through the holiday brochure, and Ronnie's like, "Do you see anything you like?" <laughs> Fucking poor old Stevens, ever broken nose. Yeah, and I was um. Sometimes I forget that that's um. I always think that's the nice the end episode ends, but then we do cut back to the flat, and obviously um. Del, uh, Albert's doing his thing and he's making a cup of tea and, that, and Del's just talking to um, Raquel and every time Albert puts something down Del just fucking picks it up then he like he makes the tea and puts it down goes back to the kitchen and Del just picks the tea up and starts drinking it yeah exactly there's one thing here as well you got obviously Albert's got the plaster on his head and he's moaning about the stone hitting him oh bloody yobs did it didn't they and he says about Mike and uh, Boise being hit by the suitcase so there we said two I mean not so much of a coincidence of Albert although how that stone went through the window and still clocked him on the head I don't know so I'm pretty sure his bed wasn't right next to the window and we saw it earlier, but that's another story. But there's one little bit here, and I've always thought this, and I don't know if you've picked up on it. So Dale's on the phone to Raquel, and she's asking about Cassandra and Rodney and about how she wishes Dale was a bit more like Rodney. That's fair enough. She's met Rodney before, but at this point, she's never met Cassandra. And I don't think Dale would have had the chance to talk to her about Cassandra, because in dates, obviously, Cassandra's not around. And then, obviously, Dale met her at the Mardi Gras, but the time they had together, I doubt if Dale would have been talking about Rodney and Cassandra, would he? He'd have been trying to big himself up and sort of say why he didn't meet her that day. So I don't know how she knows about Cassandra at this point. Yeah, that's a good shout, actually. Um, I haven't actually really ever really clocked on that, but that is a really good call. Because you imagine in the morning as well, they wouldn't have been hanging about having breakfast and catching up, would they? They would have like stayed over Raquel's, got up straight to the bus and off they went. But um, yeah, that's a good call. Unless, um, yeah. But I don't know... Well, it must be the same day, wasn't it? Um, I was trying to think. Maybe like they've had a few phone calls now, but this is the same day that Rodney goes back and punches Stephen. So, yeah, they wouldn't have had a chance to talk about it. No, it's just a little plot hole there that I thought she wouldn't have even known about Cassandra's existence at this point. Or Rodney might have mentioned her in, in passing, but she wouldn't have known a lot about her. But there we go. Just saying it's always sort of like been in the back of my mind there. But I like it when Dale's like, yeah, I'm going to go to... um going to take the van somewhere to test out this new car radio, which is probably not a good idea if it's the same one he put in that coach. And he's like, I might go to Margate. It's like, okay, fair enough. And obviously Raquel's well up for it. So it's, it's quite good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And um, it's a good little, um, obviously we get Rodney coming home as well, but it is good because it kind of sets up what comes in the next series, doesn't it? It gave the viewers, I know we've got another special to do before we get there, but it gives the viewers just that little bit more to kind of hook onto as an ongoing story. Yeah, exactly. And then the final scene, obviously, Rodney comes in with his suitcase and um, that does begin the problems between him and Cass, which are going to play out throughout the, well, the next special and pretty much the whole next series. Um, so, yeah, I mean, their, their marriage didn't really stay that strong for that long, did it? Well, no, considering it was only a year or eight months, if you do the math properly, like you pointed out at the start and everything. So it's not been uh, the greatest run for him so far. No, not at all. But um, that's pretty much how the episode wraps up then. And obviously it sets up Raquel coming back into it, as we said, which is a good thing because she's a great character and her and Dale are excellent together. Um, but yeah, definitely one of the best episodes. And even like the little characters we never see again, like Raimondo and Harry, who plays his little part, they're all sort of good little side characters, aren't they? And Eddie Chambers even, he's quite a funny little character for two minutes he's in it. Yeah, yeah, it is a brilliant episode. It flows really well. There's loads of character development and it's nice, as we said at the start, the episodes that have like all the characters are in are usually always the better ones just because there's a bit more chemistry and a bit more sort of like variation that they can come up with. Um, I love this episode. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favourites. And if we'd have done, I know we didn't, but if we'd have got to the point um, after our original series where we were going to do our top five specials, I pretty much guarantee this would have been my number one. I know there's a close contender for you for your favourite specials, but this would have been my number one. I would have been my number one as well. I mean, there's that. I mean, all the specials are good in their own rights. The last couple probably not as solid, but there are still some good moments, and obviously we'll cover them in due course. But yeah, I think overall this probably is the best. And like I said at the start, it's very much um, the fans' favourite as well. I think if um, I think there has been a top ten episodes on Gold or somewhere before, or I've seen a poll, and this was number one. Yeah, I mean, even just the bus blowing up, that's always in, like we said before, like those montage bits of best comedy moments. It's always like the chandelier, the bus blowing up and all that sort of stuff. So it's um, it's quite a well-known scene and episode for anyone who's like even a hardcore fan or a casual fan. Everyone knows about this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So there we are. That pretty much concludes our, um, our look at a Jolly Boys outing for Only Fools and Horses. And thanks for bearing with us where it has been a few weeks. Um, Life's been a little bit strenuous lately, but we are aiming to be back with you uh, on the weekly as best we can. 
Um, let us know what you think about this episode. As always, you can get in touch with us at the Hyperbaric Goats on Twitter, where you can also chime into our movie podcast as well. And for me this week at Bread Roll, I am signing off. And for me, JT, just before I do my uh, closing line, just um, hopefully Twitter will still be around when this goes out because um, it seems to be <laughs> self-destructing at the moment due to a certain person. I'm not going to mention any names. I think we know who we're talking about. But yeah, as Breadwell says, at the moment, catch up with us on Twitter. If Twitter does go tits up, we'll, we'll end up somewhere else. So don't worry about that. So from me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. I've always been an achiever. I've never actually achieved anything, mind, but I've always been in with a shout. No income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices at a straw.